if we as actors go into these fear-based rooms embodying the idea of service in our thinking and in our action, asking the question, how can I help? You will find that fear fall off their shoulders and they will gravitate towards you and they won't know why exactly, but there's just something about them and they'll want to return that in the only currency they have, which is the job. Hello and welcome back to the Spiritual Psychology of Acting podcast. This week's episode features a conversation with American actor Bill Coleus. For our American audience, you may recognise Bill's face as he's acted in over 50 commercials throughout his career. In our chat, we discuss what it's like auditioning for commercials and being on set, the do's and don'ts of commercial acting, and the ethical and moral quandaries that can come with commercials. Aside from that, Bill is also a very successful film and television actor, appearing in The American Office, Modern Family, and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, to name just a few. It's a very enjoyable chat with a lovely guy, so let's jump into it. So this is episode 7 of the podcast, and it's our second special guest. We're very pleased to welcome Bill Coleus to the podcast. How are you doing today, Bill? Excellent. How are you doing, Jordan? Good, thank you. Yeah, lovely to have you with us. How are you today, John? Oh, thank you for asking. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> Let's never forget you. John, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't forget about me. <laughs> it's my turn as well. Uh, yes, no, I'm very well, thank you. Really looking forward to um, speaking with Bill. Uh, Bill was a student of mine in New York in the early noughties. And so we're going to hear more about that. So I'm really happy to have him on here. And he's just moved to the UK. It's true. To Bath, right? Yeah, yeah. Lovely Bath. Is it sunny today? No. No. <laughs> Typical. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bill's had a little bit of a weather shock. Yeah. Is that right? When I first moved here, I was walking with a couple of other dads at school and the sun came out and everyone in the group stopped and went, oh, and I was like, that's so strange. And then two weeks ago, I was walking down the street and the sun came out and I went, oh. You've assimilated. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> have to get Excellent. that vitamin. I have to get that vitamin C. <laughs> well, but yeah, we'll talk a lot about your commercials because you've been in over, what, 50 commercials throughout your career? I've done 53 national commercials in the States. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, great to talk a bit about that. I noticed actually in when, when I was doing my research that you do a lot of teaching as well, right? You do a lot of acting teaching, a lot of commercial acting teaching, but you also teach mindset classes. Yes. That's really interesting. So in a nutshell, what would you say is the right mindset for commercial casting? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the this is and this is something we'll do a deeper dive into because it's all germs from John's class. Um, but the idea about commercials is, and I, I encourage all of my students to remember this, is that the industry is rooted and engined and based in fear because they have no idea if the spot's going to work. They have no idea if all the resources that they're putting towards it, all the money, all the man hours, all of it, is going to translate into that demographic buying as much as they need them to buy or that new slogan that they want everyone to remember. And this fills them with abject terror, right? 
And these folks then go and hire uh, a production company, everybody on the other side of that camera, uh, the director, the, the director of photography. In fact, it's the director's main job is that they've said, don't worry, I know how to talk to actors, we're going to make this work. Although I don't know how many times I've been in an audition and some director's like, do this. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, they just have no vernacular to be able to speak to actors and they're terrified of that look. Plus, they're still fighting for their jobs in that room. We'll always get another audition. This poor director may never work for blank company again, depending on how the spot goes. Then these guys go and hire a casting director whose main job it is is to rent out these Zoom rooms, often at the very last second, calling in actors at the last moment, hoping to God that their bosses <clears throat> hire them again. They have rent to pay, terrified. And this fear just rolls right into our audition rooms. And I was recognizing this because I was walking out of these rooms in fear. And it was like going in, my nervous system was kicking off. And it was like, it feels like somebody's going to die in here and it might be me. And I knew that that was unsustainable. I couldn't, the body couldn't contain that. So I was just thinking, well, how can I defeat this? Or always a better question to ask, how can I use this to my advantage? And a lot of what John taught me kind of translated into this idea, which was if we as actors go into these fear-based rooms embodying the idea of service. Basically, in our thinking and in our action, asking the question, how can I help? How can I help? You will find that fear fall off their shoulders and they will gravitate towards you and they won't know why exactly, but there's just something about them and they'll want to return that and the only currency they have, which is the job. But when I talk about service, that means a lot of things to a lot of people. And what I'm specifically talking about, which is a tenant of John's classes, is to be here now, to be present to this moment, to recognize what is needed. Because there's no way that we could recognize what is needed if we ourselves are in fear-based thinking. Oh my God, no one here looks like me. Oh my God, everybody here looks like me. Is this shirt right? My personal favorite. All of that is evaluative fear-based thinking, which the camera picks up on. And now we look and smell and taste like everybody on the other side of that camera. And they don't want to have anything to do with what looks like them. And they reject us unconsciously. No, can't help us. So once I figured that out, and once I really started to dedicate to that in the room, both inside and outside the audition room, I started to have more fun. And my audition rates my booking rate started to explode, and I knew I was onto that. So that's really the foundation of everything that I teach is this idea of service, of being present to this moment to recognize what is needed. And uh, it's served me well, and it's served my students well. Amazing. Yeah. That's a lovely idea, isn't it? I guess because you don't want to come in with a kind of combative spirit. Like that's the kind of... The default for actors isn't to think that this person stop can stop me from getting the job, or rather yeah, than working yeah, together, yeah. it's a it's a that's an ensemble. Right. We we as actors use this audition so often to hide what we don't want to see, to to present what we need to be seen as, and a lot of the work that I did in John's class exposed in my own thinking. Oh right, I have this unconscious desire to to be seen as this, 
or I have this unconscious desire not to be seen as this. And just wasting these beautiful, creative moments of these auditions to play this game. And what I've worked on in myself as an actor through John's work and then have passed that along to my students is let that go and just be here and present to help. And it's been uh, miraculous for my career and the people that I teach. Lovely. It's so nice that you're still so connected to John's work that's had such a an impact on you, yeah? Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Instrumental. In taking that to just the way that I understood it in the way that I could embody it and use it to my own, uh, to get, let this mechanism use it, you know. But it was the teaching that started it at all. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so, when, so then going back then to that time in the early 2000s, when did you, or how did you first hear of the spiritual psychology of acting? When did you first meet John? Well, the amazing thing is, right, they say that uh, when you're ready for the teacher, the teacher arises. And when, uh, before uh, it was suggested to me that I take John's class, you know, I was doing okay in my career. I wasn't doing great. I wasn't really happy with how my career was going. I definitely wasn't happy with myself. Who I was as a person was not very attractive to myself at all. And I was getting my hair cut. And my barber was like, oh, as you know, as you talk to your barber, and she's like, huh, you know, you should really meet a friend of mine, John Osborne Hughes. He teaches this amazing class. And I was like, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, sure. Acting class suggested by my barber, yeah, sure. And I owe, I owe this woman everything. I owe this woman everything. So I showed up for a taster class in uh, this third floor walk-up down in, near Chinatown, uh, right around 2002, I think. And sat in this class, and there's this dude sitting there in this kind of crescent half circle, and we're like, all right, what do you got? And he, we don't do any scene work, we don't do anything. He just talks at us for like half a day, and then we take a break for lunch. And uh, we took a break, and I turned to this to Damaris, who we would study together all the way through the years and I turned to her and I said, did that, did that just change you? That changed you, right? And she's like, yeah. And we didn't go out for lunch. We just sat there and just kind of went over what John talked about for a little while because we couldn't believe what was being said. And it spoke so deeply to where we were at and what we wanted to learn. And, uh, the training lasted for years, absolutely, for years. So that was a that was our first that was the <laughs> that was the first time meeting John. Uh, it was a mind blower, and it continued to be a mind blower for years, for years. Still continues to be. So, what was your experience then of studying the course? Like, uh, the, the, obviously, you took the whole I mean, course, right? You went all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and John, feel free to connect to correct me on the timeline of it, but I think that we first started meeting. At, in 2002 in New York, and you had done previous work in New York earlier. Um, but the group that I had joined, we had studied on and off because John would go back to London and then come back to New York like a few months later. So it was really piecemeal, but it was a totality of the full class over several years, um, which I feel is a necessity. You can't just 
pop in and pop out of this work. It is a long game of self-development and skill development. Um, that's an absolute necessity. But our final workshop came around 2005, I think, where we did. Uh, my piece was Killer Joe playing Ansel. And uh, that was just one of the highlights of my acting life was learning all of these new skills and then embodying them in this short burst of a performance that brought everything together. That was just a magnificent experience. I'll never forget. Yeah. But the whole training took years and it was worth every bit, every bit. Yeah. I, I've been, I first started teaching in New York, New York in 1999. It was the first group. And initially I just went for a, a to do a weekend with the actress Sarah Clark, who'd seen a play that I'd worked on in London in the West End. And she just tapped me on the shoulder one night and said, um, so how did you do that? That was amazing. She said, I've never seen that before. She said, usually when you watch theatre, you see the actor and the character, but I couldn't see the actors. I could only see characters. That was mm. phenomenal. So we went and had um a, a bite to eat and i told her a bit about the, the you know the course and what the principles were what what it have evolved and uh, she recorded it on a dictaphone and she said if i bring you to new york to do a workshop can i do it for free if i organize it and i was like sure and what she didn't know is i'd had a long-term dream of going to teach in new york and really not even going to teach in new york just going to i i felt compelled and attracted to new york since i was a five-year-old mm. um seeing bits of new york on the tv and any time the the empire state building would come on the tv or uh superman or batman or anything like that just my I, my little five-year-old mind would just be absolutely glued to it just compelled by it so i'd had so she didn't know i'd had a long-term dream of coming to new york and um, I didn't hear from her for months. And then by about five, six months later, I suddenly got a phone call from her. And she said, right, I've got 15 actors that are all keen to learn from you. She said, I've selected a group of actors. Um, when do you want to come? So I went in September 99. I did a three-day workshop. And I thought that might just be it. And then at the end of the weekend, they said, can we have a meeting with you? And they said at the at the meeting, they said, right, we don't care how much it costs we don't care how long it takes we need to learn this entire system there's nothing like this in new york and i'm like well there's there's nothing really like this anywhere um so then i began i i came back and i did a two-week workshop in the november and they were um they were the first group i taught and bill was in the fourth group i believe wasn't it, it was pod, mm -hmm. pod three or pod four they yeah. called themselves pods and we keep we keep that now, and it's uh, basically that I I didn't come up with this. It was actually Damaris that you were just mentioning. She I think she, it was her idea to call it the pods, <laughs> and I quite quite kind of like the idea of pods because it was a pod like a seed pod, right? Um, her idea was uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> if you remember that movie, where the aliens come out of this pod, and you it was kind of like this rebirth in a way, and yeah, where we went into class as one kind of person and then came out of class completely different yes we were all these there's a beautiful pods. butterfly <laughs> yeah also the uh, dolphins the do groups of dolphins are called pods oh. and oh. how they operate is through mutual assistance they all serve each other the dolphins as a unit but anyway so 
During that time in New York, I was there from, I taught regularly, I, I would go there for about four times a year, probably do a two-week workshop with each group about four times a year. And it was during, and that happened between 1999 and 2008. And I would say, you probably don't know this, Bill, but that's where really the spiritual psychology of acting really developed mm. because of the level of commitment of the American actors was different to the level of commitment of the British actors um, in in Britain, they've got more of an attitude of, you know, I do my time at drama school and then, you know, where's my, where's my job. But in America, there's a much more culture of continued learning that, you know, acting is a craft to be studied for life. And so they were extremely invested in the course and we do long, you know, we do a two week workshop each time. And because of that, the depth that we were able to go into with all of the work and especially the psychology and the spiritual work really came into its own. And that's for me as a teacher, that's where really the whole course developed and became what it is today. There's a saying as well that you, 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 know, you can't be a prophet in your own country. And so there was something of just coming for the whole group of like uh, teaching a group of Americans, especially because they've got ideas about British people. Right. That we must know something, you know, we're overrated, really. Because um, he sounds so funny. Yeah, he sounds so funny. Sound, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> so we, we, yeah. uh, we speak properly. <laughs> 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 uh they think we must know we've got the rich heritage of shakespeare of course so sure, um it was sure. really to be a prophet in new york and for really for me to really take my ideas to their fullness because the, the students were just so into the work i mean that was the other thing too is that it's true about americans and their desire to train uh and it being a lifelong event so i've you know i've done classes since yours the amazing thing about yours was obviously the transformational element of it as of, of who we were and what of our thinking about ourselves as well as the the script analysis and the the drama work but also the connection that we had as a group i've never worked with such a large group over such a long period of time and it was such a cohesive community because of the work and we we grew together and that was i've never experienced that since um a lot of the work other classes i've taken have been valuable but we've never it's never been captured as deeply to create such a community of of thought and and brotherhood and sisterhood and theyhood to really come together as a group it was i still stay in touch with so many of them today so, many of which who actually are no longer actors and have realized they can take this teaching into their own profession that they came to. And it expands into their life and expanded their thinking of themselves. And so many people have taken this teaching into other arenas of their life and they're doing it as passionately as they did when they were actors. And it's a, it's really exciting to see them grow and thrive due to the work. It's great. Well, something happens as well on that. You know, that I agree with you that the, the level of community is really strong around the spiritual psychology of acting classes. That's people do make lifelong friends. And I think a lot of that is um, starts with because we start with meditation and because the, the, the you know, the philosophical premise is that really there is one self 
we are all the self and the, the same self manifesting itself as all these different people and bodies. When you go back to the meditation and you go back to just pure stillness, then you you find the unity. And so then when people come out of the meditation, they recognize the same self in each other. And, you know, that's the secret of, of human relationships is to realize that everybody you meet is your own self, isn't it? And that really shows. And there was real love uh, within all those groups. And that's not just um, the groups in New York, but also the groups I've taught in, in London as well. It's not unusual for people to become lifelong friends after studying this stuff, which Absolutely. is wonderful. And I think that that's such a foundation of the audition. So many times the actor comes into these situations thinking that they are auditioning for someone else, that they are auditioning for the other, that they are needing to prove themselves to someone else. And the big transformation, one of the many transformations for me in the class was like, I'm auditioning for myself. Like I'm auditioning to this other being that is me, that is connected. There is no separation between me and them. And then when you add service to it and how can I help this myself, <laughs> it, it explodes this audition to a whole other level of joy and excitement and exploration that previous to your class, I had just, I couldn't find. And the audition was uh, a, a, a fear-based activity. And now it's not only am I hungry for my next audition to help share, but to connect with the other, which is myself. And so it becomes an exercise again and again to bring you back to this origin of self. Um, and it's, it's such a transformation uh, to how I saw auditioning and acting. Um, and it just made it fun. Just made it fun. Yeah, well, it's a completely different relationship, isn't it? That if you're going into the audition room and the idea is, you know, that um, the casting director is some superior bastard contriving to keep you out of the industry, that's one relationship. But if the first thing you do when you walk into the room is you sort of look, look them in the eye, I don't mean in a starey down kind of way, and you acknowledge the self in the director and you acknowledge the self in the casting director, there's an immediate unity that's there. And it just gets you off on a good start. It's fascinating because for, you know, this is what I learned in your class. If, if To be absolutely open with my own experience in that class. So my father was my high school drama teacher. Did commercials during the summer to make extra money. Was also named Bill Coleus. <laughs> and it was through your class that I recognized, oh, wow. All I'm doing is projecting this idea on how I can impress my dad onto every male director I ever had. And I had been to therapy. I had, I had tried to figure out why auditioning was so painful for me, why it was so wrought, so that every audition I was at, I was just like, like I was leaving every audition like that. And after the study, after the few years of, of being in your class, it just it released and it became all apparent and it became through the teaching and through the self-exploration tools that you gave us. And I was able to slowly but surely just release that as well as other further, further therapy and as, you know, dedicating 
to learning more about it. And auditioning became a joy. And auditioning became a place to share and to experience and to live lightly and freely and to give and to serve. And it just changed. And, and my booking rate exploded. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Wow, what a connection. I remember seeing that, actually, as, you, as your teacher in the class. I remember um, when we studied, when I introduced you to psychological actions, and we do an exercise, first of all, for me to, to explain how actions work, where um, one student sits, sits in front of the class and they read a book. And then when their attention's more or less focused on the book, they put their hand up and then someone asks them a question. And um, it can be any question. It doesn't matter because they, they ask the question and then I show them what their psychological action was when they answered it. Mm. And so they get to really see in detail uh, how their thinking processes works. And then we go on to later on, I teach them how to program the actions at will. But first of all, it's learning how to observe it. And I remember with Bill that um, you would ask, someone would ask you, you know, um, what's your favorite color? And you would shrink regroup and then answer with the action i condescend ah yellow and then i go I'd, I'd point it out to you that that's what happened right and then next one uh what's your favorite animal he would shrink regroup orientate himself and then answer and condescend and then i'd explain it you know well that's 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 that is like, okay and there was a pattern. You could see, see this pattern that in each time there was this little condescend. And then we, I remember we inquired into what was that. And this is where all your, a lot of your thinking about your dad came out, um, was that that was added on the end, that, that uncon which was at the time completely unconscious to you, a need to feel superior. And I remember you telling me that um, after the class over the weekend, then we had the weekend and you went, you went to a party. Do you remember this? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you said that you, you, you could see your actions for the first time. It's like it, you could see it and you would get into a, You told me that you'd get into a conversation with somebody and you would be like on your best behavior, trying to be friendly. And then you'd notice you just couldn't help trying to... <laughs> one up them or whatever yeah, and then you right. just like give up and then yeah. just talk to someone else and then the same thing that happened and i think you you eventually said that you just went home oh yeah i left like three parties that weekend <laughs> <laughs> it ruined your social life <laughs> yeah truly it's ruined well it ruined that kind of social life you know where every relationship was all about besting and being better than and being the best and uh, yeah, and then once it's it's wild because once in class, you begin to see your psychological actions. First off, it's terrifying and it's painful, and it's it's a whole new way of seeing the world through your uh, through your new eyes. And then you realize, oh wait, oh, wait, if I and this is another thing that John taught was, if uh, you spot it, you're not it. If you begin to see your own psychological actions, you are no, you're, it, it doesn't have the control that it used to. And the most important part about all of this for actors is how could I possibly play a subservient role if my unconscious actions are all about being superior? 
It's always going to get in the way of that character. And that was mind-blowing to me. That I was limiting my unlimited self from playing any character because of who I was choosing to be outside of the audition room through this unconscious desire. And that was revelatory. I missed a couple of parties, but I became a better actor. And a warmer person. That's the other thing as well, is that when you saw that, True. You know, it, and it is painful when per- people start to, you know, because people don't really watch themselves. There's a lot of talk about it, about self-development, but they don't really have the skills to observe their own thinking. And, you know, the course very much provides that. And it can be a bit of a shocker. It can be a bit of a revelation. Oh, my God, is this how I live? And then you can see it in everything, in everything you do, the same patterns of thinking. And it's like, why couldn't I see it before? And so there's an initial pain that gener- that often comes with that or a humor. It becomes very funny. Mm. And then then it starts to dissolve. And then once that's out of the way, like the real person, the real soul, the real good person that's behind there, the self starts to shine forth and that was really clear and really for me as a teacher watching that transformation was really beautiful mm. and on top of that you have this community that's here to envelop you through that process because they're going through it as well and it's a it's a beautiful experience you never have to do it alone and i think that that's often what keeps people from that change is that it's too scary i have to do this by myself and when you have a community like that, you feel courageous and you start searching it out and the change becomes faster and the skills become quicker and faster, uh, uh, more quickly adapted. And uh, you just feel like you're on fire. It's an amazing experience. Well, it's a, it's a success and a joy, isn't it? It's a success and a joy on both fronts because the more you're finding out about yourself, the better your own personal life becomes because... You're freeing yourself from all these tensions and all these things that are getting in the way of you experiencing and enjoying life. But then also, the more you understand and see all these different purposes and psychological actions, and the more you kind of build up that vocabulary, the more it's like any character becomes more and more readily available. So you're freeing yourself as a human being. And then as an actor, you're you're just extending your range and just getting more and more confidence. And like you say... You have an extended family all of a sudden. You've got people that are just, you know, that are holding you up and you're holding them up. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And once you've learned to see your own actions, then other people's become transparent. You start to see, you know, the difference between actions and what we call devices or pseudo actions, what people are showing that they're doing and what they're really doing. That becomes the awareness of that, but starts to become really acute. And then, of course, that's the difference between text and subtext. What the character's saying and what they're really saying is the subtext behind it. So then as an actor, you then get to, to, because you have that acute awareness, you can play that much better. And so your work has more depth. But the really important thing with all of this work, with the, you know, the personal analysis stuff that I teach, is I make it absolutely clear that the first sort of rule is no judgment or criticism. It's that nothing human is alien to me. We all have all of the purposes. We all have all of the actions. It's all part of the human psyche. Let's not get into a game of, you know, isn't it terrible how you have this thought or whatever. It's let's rather have the attitude of, isn't it fascinating how the human mind works? And then it becomes, isn't it funny, these contradictions? Isn't it humorous, you know? 
I have a story about this because it's not only just character analysis and being a better actor. Um, it also helps you deal with the industry. I was, I got hired for this a commercial for this restaurant. It's a fast food restaurant. And I was the first shot of the day and I was the customer. So they had rented out an actual one of these types of restaurants. And my first shot of the day was walking in and sitting down at the booth. And I went through hair and makeup and they had like 60 crew members and it was like packed. And the director and all the producers were in the back. And so they said, okay, let's, let's practice this run for sound. I walk in, I sit down at the booth. Okay, great. Let's try it for camera. I walk in, I sit down at the booth. Okay, let's shoot this. We ready to go? First shot of the day. Director's like, yeah, let's do this. And quiet everyone, please. Total silence. Sound speed and action. And I walk in and I sit down at the booth. Pause, pause. Then a sound from the director, which still kind of raises the hair on the back of my neck. He screams out, that sucked. 120 eyes. Right on me. And I won't lie. Like my first thought was, I'm fired. I'm fired. There was such vitriol, like pointed at me. And then I went, wait, time out. I walked in. I sat down at the booth like that. That was the service of it. What's actually going on? And it cut right through. And the first thing that just arose was right. He's terrified. Because there was no block for me now because I didn't have to take it on because I had done the work on myself and I could begin to see like the psychological actions of others. So in response, I just said over those 120 eyes at this tone, what do you need? Beat, beat. All right, moving on. And everyone just went off to their jobs and we had got the shot. He was just, he was just pissing, to be honest. Like he was just trying to prove that he was the boss. And because of the work that I had done in the class, I had recognized that immediately. And he had no shit to put his barnacle on. Right. And it just passed through. And I was just able to do my job. Enjoy. Because when we start realizing these psychological actions, these purposes that you also teach in class, and we begin to recognize them in ourselves, our eye becomes super trained in seeing them in others. And we don't have to take it personally. And it becomes such a tool on set because you don't have to take on whatever is thrown your way and whatever kind of block unconscious work that anyone else is doing on set. You're like, oh, there it is. That's okay. That's okay. What do you need? And that was transformational for me because I also used to suffer from abject terror on sets. Incredible stage fright. Incredible uh, camera terror. And it began to evaporate because I was actually seeing for the first time what was happening for real. And I didn't have to take that on. And I just transformed my set behavior to just total joy and being present. And it's a lot more fun. Now, <laughs> yeah, the Shankachar in India said, um, if only people could realize that serving oneself is bondage and serving others is freedom, then they might be happy. Right. And that's it. Well, that's exactly that, isn't it? As you turned it around, it became a service. It's like, what do you need? What can, how can I help you? And then, then his, you know, it's like he, his punch 
had nowhere to land. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and he sees it. And also the other thing is, is that when you then, you know, people ask me sometimes how to deal with people, with bullies, with whatever, with people that have been passive aggressive, whatever, is just really come into the present, just become really, really present. And then when you become really present, a kind of light shines in the space and people can see what they're doing. It shows up what they're doing for themselves. You don't even have to say anything. It just happens quite naturally. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so by emailing podcast at spiritualpsychologyofacting.com. If you have any feedback, thoughts, topics you think we should cover in future episodes, or questions about the spiritual psychology of acting, whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you. The email address again is podcast at spiritualpsychologyofacting.com. You can find it in the description of the podcast. Now, back to this week's episode. So as we said earlier, you've acted in over, was it, 53 commercials throughout your career? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What have those experiences particularly on set and, and in the actual doing of the job. What have you learned from commercial acting that you've taken into other work, whether it be on stage or TV or film? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting because I also have a pretty strong TV and film career as well. And that's kind of a question that I get a lot from my students, which is, is there any difference between TV and film acting and commercial acting? And to that, I always answer, well, I've never booked a commercial with bad acting, you know, like good acting is good acting. It's going to get you the role no matter what it is. There's a little difference between the script analysis, I think, in what commercials are trying to attempt versus what a TV show or a movie is trying to attempt. But the psychological actions are exactly the same which we learned in class, the purposes are exactly the same. I take the technique into both worlds and book because of it. Um, I don't really, yeah, I've never been, I've never been hired for a commercial with bad acting, period. I've never also have done a commercial that has been me going, hi, I'm Bill Coleus and I support this glass of water. Like that's, I've never lent my name to a product um it's always been an acting job for me so i'm going to bring all of those skills that i learned to that job so i've never done direct pitch or would lean or would ever endorse product for that reason because that's my private life that's my private name like that's that's important to me but you know celebrities do it all the time they've got kids to put through school so I get that. I mean, what was kind of transformational for me, and this is also a big question that a lot of actors have, and this is a bigger conversation I'm sure that John wants to have too, which is about lending your art to the corporate world. And it was really transformational to me when I started doing commercials and I was like, "Mm, is this something that I want to do? Is this something that I want to give my heart to, give my talents to? And I was in Panama and I was just like in the back of this Jeep and just kind of cruising around. And there was this massive poster of Leonardo DiCaprio 
holding up this Coke. And I was like, what? Look at that. Like, he's just, I think, one of the greatest artists that we have of our generation. And I was like, wow, that dude is shilling for Coke. That's amazing. And that just kind of opened up my eyes a little bit. And also, because I'm not, you know, I'm a blue-collar actor. I am someone who does the gig. And I'm not recognized on the street. And I make a living doing acting and teaching acting. And I'm really proud of that. Commercials for me exist for the working actor, ultimately. Because of commercials, I haven't had to take a job that I didn't want for the past 15 years. Because of commercials, I've had insurance for me and my family. Um, That's what the American Adverts offers in your union. If you make a certain amount of money, you get health insurance. Uh, We had a kid uh, two years ago. Well, my wife had a child I watched. And that delivery was $23,000. But because of our union's insurance, which I got because of commercials, it only cost us three because of commercials. Because of commercials, I've been able to tour the country, travel the world. And it is an incredible opportunity for working actors to dedicate to their craft. So money that I make from commercials, I pour back into my career. I take classes. I get better headshots. I work with, you know, my acting coaches. Like this is, I think incredible opportunity for actors who want to act well to get better at it. And that's just been my experience. Go, John, go. Is there, is there a line to be drawn though, in your opinion? You know, if you were supporting a company that promoted deforestation, uh, factory farming, you know, um, in our country at the moment, I was just hearing on the radio this morning, there's a massive problem with gambling addiction. And obviously, you know, the, we could go into the, psych, the psychology of that and, and what's really going on there. But there's the, particularly a lot of young men are, are getting into gambling and they're getting into, you know, they're spending like a thousand pounds a day because now they can do it on their phone. And then you've got these celebrities telling them that uh, so gambling's fun or trying to, and they paint it as a, a fun, frivolous activity, whereas you know, it, it's very addictive because of um, obviously the hits it's giving to the brain, the endorphin rushes, etc., that 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 are being got from it. Is there a line to be drawn with the ethics of an actor? And I suppose every actor would would draw their own lines where they are. But I just wonder what your thoughts on that were. And have you ever thought of, of if there's a product here? Because essentially, you know, the whole of the advertising industry seems to work on. Um, not all of it, but a lot of it seems to work on that your life is somehow incomplete, that you're incomplete. And very often they're not selling the product. They're selling the feeling. They're selling the feeling of love or they're selling the feeling of belonging um, It rather than the actual product. And it is kind of hoodwinking people. And it, it is a form of uh, subliminal indoctrination and, and manipulation. Population. So I just wondered if, if the, on the ethical front, whether there are any thoughts about that. Hmm. It's, I mean, it's a it's a great question, and we deal with this a lot in the commercial class. I think it's a issue that needs to be brought up. I mean, pragmatically, 
before you get involved with commercial acting, you need to make a list of what products would you not support with your craft, with your talent, with your heart. Uh, believe it or not, for me, it's uh, smoking. That's actually the only thing that I draw the line at. And I've done them all. I've done fast food. I've done oil. I've done gas. I've done everything that's destroying our planet due to these these maniacal corporations. Definitely. Uh, for me, I would never do tobacco. I just, I, I draw the line at that. Would I do a, um, a Trump advert? Absolutely. I would do a Trump political campaign in a second. Would I donate every penny that I made from that to the Democratic Party? Yes, I would. <laughs> uh, so first and foremost, you need to understand where don't I want to go? And because ethically you are responsible as an artist to make that decision for yourself, you are also ethically uh, responsible to make that decision so that when your agent comes to you and you say, hey, Bill, I have a McDonald's audition for you, and you say, no, I'm morally obligated not to take this, uh, yeah, you are because you never informed your agent about it and they just spent a whole day getting you that audition. So first and foremost, you need to make that decision for yourself and then you need to let your reps know because that's the communication that needs to happen. On top of that, the bigger question is, are you willing to loan your finely honed art and craft to a corporation? And for me personally, uh, advertising has been around since I was born. It has been around for centuries before I've been on this planet, and it will continue to be here long after my children's children are gone. Well, if, if your children get to have children, you know, yeah, because yeah. of the de deforestation, <laughs> the oil and the pollution. Sure, sure. And I've, done, and I've done a product that has been proven to cause cancer. 20 years later, they discovered that. It was first man acid. And this is maniacal, and this is, this is very destructive. For me, I get to bring into the lion's den love and service. And I think for me, it kind of goes under the wire of what this whole world is. And if I can enter into this world and bring some service and bring some self-truth to set, which is really as an actor, the only place I belong in that world. I don't work for them in the way that I write their speeches or, you know, or make their policy. My role as an actor is to serve their sets. That's that's what they're asking me to do. And showing up to those sets in service and showing up, like you said, as my true self. I have seen the direct relationship to that. Of changing how a director at, treats their actors. About how people who are in fear due to their dedication of what they're actually doing with their lives, have them just pause for a second and be in the company of somebody who's just present with them. And hopefully that allows them to pass that along. I really don't see how it's helpful for me not to share that with someone in that world. I take that responsibility. What would be your top tips then for someone approaching, you know, for our listeners that, um, 
you know, that, that are actors and that are there, are they get commercial castings? What would be your top tips on approaching it from what you've learned and what you share with your students? Yeah, I think there's the philosophy and then there's like technical tips, right? The philosophy, the philosophy tips are, uh, it's not about the job. Oddly, that's the one thing that's out of your control. When was the last time you walked back into a callback, tapped the director on the shoulder and said, you're hiring me? And they went, oh, my God, Bill, I almost forgot. Thank you. That was so close. The decision of booking is actually out of your control. So why worry about that at all? The real question is, how did you serve in the room? Were you there to help or were you just there thinking about yourself the entire time? And which did you have more fun doing? So the big question you need to ask yourself first is the technical, the philosophical tip is, were you really there helping develop that muscle of service? Were you present in that moment or were you just doing it in fear and thus propelling the fear of the industry? Or were you there as an agent of change? Were you just there to help? That's the real question to ask. Technically then, I mean, there's so many things, and this is what I teach in my class. There are a lot of things to learn about how to make what I like to do is I like to just say, well, look, all of this is turning the audition into your spa. You know, when you go to the day spa and you get the mud pack and you get like your nails done and it's awesome. Like that's what you want your auditions to feel like. Service is a great way of doing that. Also knowing what to do in the room is also extremely important. How do you slate? How do you look for what's the copywriter is asking you to see in the copy? What is the one thing that you need to do in the callback to book the job? What are things that you can do on set to help ensure a future job? All of these are technical things that I teach in the class that my class used to be called Commercial Acting 101 because there literally was 101 things you can learn in your audition to help bring about that service, but also to help you feel comfortable where you're at. Because to me, there's nothing worse than not knowing what to do in an audition room. Your class was extremely helpful in giving me tips on how to break down scripts, how to uh, embody a character. My class, I think, feel helps with the commercial element of from the moment that you get the call for the audition to the moment that you leave the room, how are you embodying your service? And then what are you doing moment to moment to really serve that audition? And there's a lot, lot to learn in that kind of thing because once you begin to relax, you get to serve. If you're feeling uptight, if you're feeling nervous, if you're feeling frightened, we immediately go inward and it becomes all about us. And there's no opportunity to serve at all in that. And you miss things in the script. You miss signals coming from the casting director about what they want. You're not actively listening and you're no longer present. But if you start working these skills, how do we slate in service? How do we find what the copywriter is looking for? How do we do auditions like, so Bill, tell us a little something about yourself. How do we have those auditions ready to go? Like all of those kinds of things, if you start practicing these skills from what you'll learn in the class, the service just becomes so much easier. And you just get to relax. But overall, I think you should be leaving every audition evaluating four things. One, how was my service? Was I just there to help or was I just thinking about myself the entire time? Two, how was my creativity? Was I living in that moment of the character? Was I in my surroundings? Was I 
um, speaking to somebody in my direct pitch. And if our service is high, our creativity is going to be high. And then what's one thing I'll keep? That was really good. I'm going to do that in my next audition. And then what's one thing I'm going to leave behind? That sucked. I'm never going to do that again, which was like the first five years of me auditioning. And then once you figure that out and write them down and then let it go and enjoy your life. Because this idea of service, this idea, the, this idea of being the bigger self, the one true self, has to be practiced outside that audition room. If you're just doing it in the audition room, you don't get good at it because it's so terrifying in there. But if you start practicing how to be the one true self, which is what you'll learn in John's class, if you start practicing your service, how can I help now? How can I help now? How can I help now? That just follows you into the room. And then weirdly, you become an actor that they've never seen before. They're like, who is this? We've got to get this person on set. Which I have found happens to me over and over and over again. Due to the stuff that we learned in John's class. I don't know if that... So what would be, yeah. yeah, that's good. But what, what would be the big no-nos then? What, what don't do? What, what would you say? Like, as a, you know, going in for, for sure. not just commercial castings, but just castings in general. What would be your big no-nos? It ranges. Uh, do your breathing exercises and meditations before you do your self-tape. When you show up on self-tape and it's all about, here I am on my self-tape, and you actually are like shoving this character down somebody's throat. Never works. This is something that I teach in my class. Um, it's not so much as a no-no. This is something they should always do. Uh, always tag. Tagging is creating an alternative line of dialogue after the last line of dialogue that your character has in the script. It propels the moment forward. Like, what would your character say after the last line of dialogue? And always tag. Because, one, it gets you out of your own actor thinking. It pushes the moment forward. So whoever's watching the tape is like, oh, they know what this character is thinking, what this character is doing. And also, because so much of this work is done in fear, they have no idea if this project is going to work. So if you add something creatively, I find that they just welcome you with open arms because they can trust you because you're within the character thinking you're giving them more material. And because they don't know it works, they just they'll take it. It's the reason that I booked the American office. Like I tagged, I had like a small co-star and I just tagged at the end of it and I booked and I showed up on set and Mindy Kaling who directed and wrote the episode was like, that thing that you did at the end of your audition, that was great. We're going to keep this. And I was like, yeah, tagging. Okay. Sorry, can you just, can you elaborate a bit more? So what's, so what is the tag then? So is it, is it kind of keeping the energy up, right? Is it kind of making sure that it's like before you say cut, I guess? Right. A tag is a sound, a tag is a look, but mostly because you're dealing with a script, a tag is a line. So like, for example, like I was in this um, uh, audition for like a, a big hardware store and it was all about a bunch of guys around a barbecue. And because of the deals of paint that week, we're all going to paint our houses the same color. And so the commercial was all about what color we're going to choose, what color we're going to choose. And we choose a color. And the end line of the commercial is let's go as we all head off. So with tagging, you want to add like a last line there to propel that moment forward. It's essential that you don't do it to stand out. That's not the purpose of tagging. Not look at me. Because that's, 
that's actually an embodiment of fearful thinking. I need you to look at me, which the camera picks up on. And now we look and smell and taste like everybody on the other side of that camera. And they don't want to have anything to do with what looks and smells and tastes like them. Tagging is taking in your environment. Tagging is taking in the character's thinking. And what would I say next? For me in that commercial, I thought it was all about a bunch of guys commuting, becoming a team. So my tag was going to be Bernie's buying. Genius, right? But here's the thing. <laughs> but here's the thing. In that, as I'm about, as we're about to head off, and as I'm about to say Bernie's buying, this actor goes, "Hey, look, it's Justin Bieber." A complete non sequitur, just to stand out for a brief, horrible second, literally bringing the audition to a standstill. Like guys just stopped walking. They were like, "What the living was that?" But the thing is, you never write. It's how can I help now? How can I help now? You never want to throw another actor under the bus. It's not their fault they didn't take John's class, right? So what arose in that moment was, uh, hey, uh, hey, Beebs, what color do you want? All right, Bernie's buying. You yes-handed him. Yeah, <laughs> helped, that's right. Helped him out rather than, yeah, that's that you right. say, throw him under the bus. That's absolutely right. Because I was present, instead of, oh, my God, this guy. It was all about how can I help this moment now? And off we go. One last thing. Did they use it? The burn? Right. So, he, so here's the thing. This usually ends. That question always arises. So did you book it? And this is the, the big thing, I think, for me, which I think all actors should have the goals of a long career. What are you doing to help ensure a long career? And one of the biggest things that you can do to help ensure a long career is that it is to stop ending your stories with, and I booked it, or and I didn't book it. That is a decision that is out of your control. You do not make that decision. I encourage all actors to start now focusing on what they can control. You can control your character's thinking. You can control your dedication to the craft. You can control whether you take a class or not. You can control whether all of your materials are in place, your headshots, your resumes. You can control your relationship with your agents. The massive paradigm shift is you have to give up control of whether you book. And instead, you need to dedicate yourself to the idea of how can I help? What do you need? And if you let that be your through line, or as John describes it, your golden thread, your presence in those rooms becomes a necessity and therefore on set. And I feel like that has kept me alive as an actor, both in my bookings and what and the level that I've booked of stuff and the success that I've had, but as well as my own sanity and the kind of closed, dark thinking that permeates this industry and this world. Our job, and John has said this often, is to be that beacon of light. And I take that very seriously. That's what I take seriously. Not whether I book or not, because whether I am that beacon of light or not is under my control. And that's what I focus on. Yeah, that's the only way you can have any peace of mind. I, I call it playing the match, not the tournament. And, yeah, and, that, and and what's the match? It's it's just doing the best audition you can with that. It, like you say, with the spirit of service, 
but just go in there to enjoy the audition. We did one of the episodes earlier on. We've done a whole thing, haven't we, Jordan, all about casting and preparation for casting and dealing yeah. with um, rejection. That And that's something that really resonated with people that they took away from it was the play the match, not the tournament. Do, do, go to enjoy the audition. The rest of it is out of your hands. I love that. You know, the website that my website is called the working actor solution. And it's a little bit of a trick because I think most actors think that working is booking. And working is not booking because it's even the money is out of our control. We don't even decide how much we're going to get paid. Other people decide that working is all about getting into class. Working is about figuring yourself out, whether that be through therapy, whether that be through a fantastic teacher like John, what are you working on at this moment? Are you doing script analysis? Are you watching movies? Are you watching TV? Are you finding out what roles you want to play? Are you developing a strong relationship with your reps? Are you finding reps? Like, what is your daily? How are you putting in the reps at the gym? Both up here and in here. Because it is, it's the match. It's the match. And the more that you fight for that golden light in that match, the better your game is going to be. And then you eventually win the tournament as a byproduct. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Unless win, you're win. doing it to win the tournament. Yes, exa- yeah, exactly. Keeping that ego in check. Yeah, you're yeah. still in service. Yeah, yeah, Totally. And again, all of that foundational stuff comes from John. Period. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it's been such a journey to see where it's just led giving over control in that way, but also being fierce in your decisions. It's a blast. Yeah. That's when it really comes alive. Well, that's what, you know, otherwise it just becomes a burden, doesn't it? The whole thing is the result. And for anyone, you just go mad. If you, if you think like that, it's just creates so much stress and burden and it's such, you know, and to, to, and I think that's, that's pretty Zen in itself, isn't it? Is that, really you're you're surrendering your will and you're, you're just coming in with a sense of service um there's a principle which um i i found very useful and that's that if you serve the self meaning and which the self is in everybody if you serve the self or if you look after the self the self will look after you um, I found that really useful is just to put the put the attention on okay just serve the self and uh, uh, you know you know it's take no thought for your life what you shall eat what you shall drink you don't know the future you don't know what's happening you don't often you know as an actor particularly you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from but what you do have in your control is that that you know you can look after others you, through your work through through working on yourself through training through practicing uh, through observing um through forgiving you know yeah uh yeah you you can you can always work on yourself and that's always in your control and i guess it's also the you're saying that that whole mindset change of coming at it from a serving point of view that's also a daily decision right you don't ever really you're not like hacked hacked your brain it's it's a constant choice isn't it day day by day to serve that is such a great that's that's such a great observation it's really true it's active it's active. It's a it's a discipline, definitely. You know, and, and the truth about life, you know, is that that circumstances are changing all the time. You know, I remember there was a, a thing in the Secret Policeman's Ball with um, Rowan Atkinson and Kate Bush. Uh, do those hairy bears do something or other in the woods? 
And he says, you know, sometimes life is finger licking good. And sometimes life is ass wiping bad. And, <laughs> and that's always stuck with me. And that's life. Life is sometimes finger licking good. And sometimes it is ass wiping bad. Um, and it seems to be a mixture of both. And it works, you know, it goes like this. But what's there that's constant? That's your own being. That's your own self. So having some means to come back to that. And that's that's why, you know, the, the meditation is so key to everything I do, because it's coming back to that which is constant. The, as you mentioned, the golden thread that runs through all of those things, um, through the ups and downs. And that's part, you know, to, to, to embrace the downs as much as the ups, because it's all part of the play. You know, the wise tell us that none of it's real anyway. It's it's all Maya. It's all just an ever-changing play. Only the self is real. So uh, come back to the self and enjoy. And that's in the Upanishads. The, the, the opening words of the Upanishad says that all that lives is full of consciousness, is full of the Lord, is full of the absolute. Claim nothing. Enjoy. And it said that if we could really hear what those words meant, claim mm. nothing joy the whole spiritual teaching is actually encaptured within those three simple words and i guess what you're doing bill as well is you're take you're you've had that experience with john and you're then also extending that into others with your own teaching i guess that whole kind of spirit of service is what drives you right because that's why you give so much of your time to to coaching other actors and holding the door open for them so to speak yeah that's right and it's it's the enjoy part you have to figure out yeah okay so the first hard part is claim nothing almost ludicrous in its command. The, diff the incredibly difficult lesson for actors, claim nothing, what? Not ask for anything from this audition, what? You out of your mind? But then the enjoy part, like what does that mean for you? And for me, it was service. It came through that, that guise, that mask, that activity. So it's the, it's the combination of claim nothing enjoy that that has made my career and i learned that in 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 john's class for me just taking the enjoy and just trying to figure that out for myself what does that actually mean instead of condescending to everybody and walking out of parties it's a vital step isn't it the whole i never thought about that the claiming nothing is is one thing but it's not claim nothing and suffer <laughs> it's claim nothing <laughs> yeah. and joy yeah yeah what do you do with that that's a, yeah. also a really big command yeah yeah and you have to find your own way with that. What actually gives you joy? Yeah, that's what's really nice here, Bill, is we talked earlier on about the, you know, the the idea of the pods that I taught in New York and that each group was a pod. And um, each pod, is, you know, each student is a seed within the pod. And what you hope is that, the, you know, that seed is going to take stock and grow into its own tree. And it's really clear from hearing what you've said that that's what's happened. Oh, that you thanks. create your own pods and that's and that's really you know that's a that's a real bless and i don't claim it um i just you know just provide the teaching as a service but it's really wonderful to see that when that really happens that that you don't you know being a teacher you you're really just scattering seeds and um you hope that some of them are it's out of your control whether some of them are going to take stock there are certain laws that govern whether that, that it's going to take stock or not mm. but the first key to it is actually hearing the teaching is hearing it and for that you have to show up and you have to be present and you have to listen and you have to get beyond the projections and the transferences 
and um, the cognitive dissonances and actually hear what's being offered. And it was really apparent that when you were a student, you really did listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really good seeing seeing these, what, you know, almost 20 years on, yeah. really, yeah. since those days. Yeah. That how how the, 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 the seeds did take stock and how a tree has grown and how hopefully you're creating other pods. And uh, that's how the, 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 t- the teaching spreads. And that's, yes. that's, that's the best I can hope and everyone's enjoying the fruit from your tree as well, Bill. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such I mean, a lovely trickle-down system. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I get more happier than students when they book, you know? It's all about the joy of it. It's all about the joy of it. You've been listening to the Spiritual Psychology of Acting podcast. Thanks again to Bill for his time and generosity with us. You can head to Bill's website at www.theworkingactorsolution.com to learn more about his private coaching for audition prep, mindset work and career guidance. The link to that website is in the description of this podcast. Join us again next week where John and I will be tackling the subject of the actor's ego. Until then, have a great week and we'll see you next time. Thank you to Charlie Robinson. She helps with the video editing and artwork for this podcast. And to Omid16b for providing the music. The track is called Love and is available on all streaming platforms. <laughs>